This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Hello, everyone. I am Kimberly Adams, and welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. Kai is out today, but I'm super excited because my Marketplace colleague, Janet Wynn, is joining me today. And most people don't even get to hear her voice because she usually writes our most viral stories for the website. But now, welcome to the host chair, Janet. Thanks, Kimberly. It's good to be here. Appreciate you having me. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about some of the news of the day and then end with some stories that made us smile today. So starting off with the news fix, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first because this was a story that broke kind of late in the day uh, Mm -hmm. that President Joe Biden is overhauling the entire U.S. policy on marijuana, starting off by pardoning thousands of people who have federal offenses for minor possession. And he's also asking federal agencies to review how the drug is classified. Now, one of the things that's been interesting is multiple states have been legalizing marijuana or decriminalizing marijuana. The fact that it's still, you know, the way it's still classified in at the federal level means that marijuana dispensaries like often can't use the banks and Mm -hmm. it's still, it's just in a weird gray area. And here in Washington, DC, where I live, it's made it very Mm -hmm. difficult for them to move further in decriminalizing marijuana. And Biden is also asking the states to move to decriminalize it even further. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, if you have a federal conviction, it seems like that's a big deal. You know, what does that mean for your livelihood? Right. It means that it's harder for you to get a job. It's Mm -hmm. harder for you to get an apartment. uh, And it can definitely affect, you know, just sort of how you move through the world. And Mm -hmm. so this is going to certainly mean a lot to the people with convictions, but the way that it impacts like federal law enforcement. And Mm -hmm. if this does indeed ripple down to the states, I mean, uh, as the Reuters story that I linked to says, it could impact millions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I have another one, uh, but uh, let's go ahead and go with yours first. Okay. um, So you can file this in extremely frustrating news. Um, There's a new report out from the Economic Policy Institute this week showing how much CEO pay has increased between 1978 and last year. So it increased more than 1,400%. As in 1,400%. Exactly. Quadruple digits. And they projected that CEOs at the top 350 firms earned an average of $27.8 million. So that includes things like salary and stock benefits. And do you want to guess how much more this is than your typical worker? Like the ratio? You you know, it was so funny. I was going to ask if they included that, but then realized, Mm -hmm. do I actually want to know? I don't know, probably like a thousand to one. Like they're probably making a thousand times more than 
no, let's see. I can probably maybe I can do this math. Let's see. If you're saying they're it. making an average of twenty-seven some odd million dollars, and what the average worker in the United States is in the fifties, what is that like? No, can't do the math. You tell me. <laughs> All right, I'll up. just go ahead. So they were that paid almost four hundred times as much as your typical worker, but it's a lot. So I totally get where that thousand number came from. Um, and the authors note that they are not getting higher pay because they are becoming more productive or even more skilled than other workers or because there's a shortage of excellent CEO candidates. And so, you know, I think when people hear about how high CEO pay is, they wonder how is this possible? And, you know, this is a topic that we've covered at Marketplace before um, and people kind of peg this to the early 90s. So, Starting in 1993, CEOs could not deduct more than $1 million on their taxes unless that pay was performance-based. And guess what? Stock options count as performance-based compensation. So as a result, stock Uh. options, yeah, they've become a bigger share of executive compensation. Um, And what's notable is how much pay for CEOs has increased even during the pandemic. You know, CEOs realized compensation, which is the amount that they actually took home at the end of the year, jumped more than 30% between 2019 and 2021. Um, And this happened during a period that was really tough on average Americans. You know, unemployment reached double digits back at the start of the pandemic, and millions were filing for unemployment benefits. It's... It's astonishing how much bigger the gap has gotten. I saw a chart the other day that was sort of representing how much of the wealth is held Mm -hmm. by the top 3% of Americans and then how much everybody else had. And it was like Mm -hmm. a teeny tiny little sliver at the bottom that like half of the country had. There was a slightly bigger chunk for, you know, sort of upper upper middle income people mainly upper mm-hmm. income people, but like the top 3% own like the vast majority of the wealth in this country. And it's really astonishing. And if you look at historical comparisons, when economies mm-hmm. look like this, it, it does not bode well for uh, the future. So mm-hmm. exactly, there are long-term consequences of long-term economic inequality. And absolutely. Yes, that's going to be revit. You know what? Actually, we should probably do a little history lesson on what we know from historical examples of what happens when there's extreme economic inequality in a society. And let's put that on the list for the deep dives. Yes. Okay. So my other story is some really astonishing reporting from New Orleans Public Radio that Shalina mm-hmm. Chatlani did about – Mississippi. So Mississippi is one of the states that absolutely jumped on the overturning of Roe versus Wade to immediately increase restrictions and pretty much ban abortion access in the state. But Mm, additionally, mm -hmm. there's a new Mississippi law, and I'm going to read straight from the article here. Mm -hmm. A new Mississippi law called the Pregnancy Resource Act 
gives corporations a break on their taxes if they donate to pregnancy resource centers. These are not healthcare centers. These are organizations that point expectant mothers towards community support and resources and away from abortion. Now that the state's last abortion clinic is closed and others across the region are shuttered, pregnancy resource centers are often advertised as the first stop for anyone dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. Now, Mm -hmm. I should say, pregnancy resource centers were already extraordinarily controversial when abortion was legal in most places Mm -hmm. because it was argued that the point was not actually to give women better access to health services or to help them uh, get access to an abortion if they wanted one, but to actively dissuade them. On the other hand, and Sarah Mm -hmm. McCammon over at NPR has done some really good reporting on this, for many women, they got access to, you know, diapers and formula and all these other things that they did need, but sometimes felt bullied and into, you know, carrying a pregnancy to term when they didn't want to. So one of the other things about this reporting from New New Orleans Public Radio is that they did an analysis. Uh, The Gulf States Newsroom did an analysis of charitable giving foundation data and found that lots of different corporations and their employees have used this law to donate to these pregnancy resource centers and get that tax break, including some major oil companies and um, what are the uh, some of the other groups? Private charitable foundations and let's see. It's just a whole list of companies that you would imagine would have nothing to do with oil with you know, the abortion fight are donating money to these resource centers because Mm -hmm. of the tax break. So it's super interesting and and definitely worth reading or listening, listening. Yes, listening. Absolutely. And, you know, Kimberly, reading that report, I'm really interested in how language is kind of being used. Like no one really wants to use the word abortion outright. You know, people are kind of scared of that term. And something that struck me about that report is how these centers are sort of labeled in, you know, these euphemistic terms. You know, as you pointed out, corporations were given a break if they donated to pregnancy resource centers, right? You know, that's not a healthcare center. And so how things are named is very important. You know, people have been saying that you should be cautious when looking up information online because there are what's called crisis pregnancy centers that sound like they're abortion clinics, but they're really aimed at pushing people away from abortions. Yeah. Well, with that, I uh, think it's time for our Make Me Smiles. All right, since I went first on the news fix, you should totally go first on your extra fun Make Me Smile. Okay, sounds good. Um, So my Make Me Smiles, for those of you who have a special place in your heart for Oregon Trail, um, a musical is in the works, and it's from a filmmaking duo behind movies like Blades of Glory. And so Oregon Trail, if you haven't played it, you've probably heard of it. Um, It's an educational game that simulates 19th century pioneer life. And you have to make your way from Missouri to Oregon. You know, you can choose professions like banker, carpenter, or farmer. And, you know, this news doesn't surprise me. It's a pretty dramatic game, if you think about it. Like, this kid's game that you played in the fifth grade has the potential to be one of the most high-stakes movies of all time. Like, you're at risk of losing your travel companions. You know, people 
are stealing your supplies. So yeah, some movies just kind of end up staying in development, but I'm really interested in seeing how they would adopt this. The fifth grade. That's real cute, Janet. The fifth grade. <laughs> it was not the fifth grade for me. <laughs> oh, boy. Your lucky Kai isn't here. <laughs> he, would, he would definitely feel worse about that. Um, you know, I, I have to give the disclaimer here that Oregon Trail had some really problematic portrayals of Native Americans. Mm, uh, great but point. I, and so I wonder how they're going to manage that with... Uh, with the musical, but, mm-hmm. uh, all right. So let's see. Then also I have to give my make me smile, which is fat bear week. Last I was week I was this. talking about, I know last week I was talking about fat bear junior week, but now it is officially fat bear week and you can vote on the chonkiest mm-hmm. bears in the, I believe it's pronounced Katmai, uh, national park and preserve mm-hmm. in Alaska. And um, I love that the on the website for it, they're like, why fat matters? And it matters <laughs> in this case because it tells you about the health of the bear population and mm-hmm. how well they're going to survive the winter. And so I'm definitely uh, going to be putting in my votes. Uh, did you have a look at the contenders? I did. Yeah, this is the real March Madness. Yes. Do you have any favorites? Um, I would have to take a look again. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm pulling it up again too. Let's see the voting. Do do do. Okay. Oh, you know this. Some of them don't actually look all that fat. So yeah, there's. Oh like wait, I'm sorry. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it wrong because I was looking at the before and after pictures as oh. if they were different bears, but no, they're all really fat. <laughs> okay. You said you like the 909 yearling. Yeah, that's a chonky yeah. bear for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, of course, we will include a link on the show notes page to where you too can cast your votes for the chunkiest of the fat bears. And in the meantime, we will be back tomorrow with Economics on Tap, where we will have an end of the week drink on our YouTube live our YouTube live stream starting at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. We will have more news, drinks, play a round of half full, half empty, maybe with a little interaction audience participation thrown in there for fun and i hope you can join us and as always keep sending your thoughts or questions our email is make me smart at marketplace.org or leave us a message at 508 ub smart Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera. Today's episode was engineered by Juan Carlos Dorado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter, and Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. Great job, Janet! Yeah. First time. This is really should, exciting. Yeah. yeah, It's fun. And I should say, we didn't drop Bridget from the credit because she's gone. She's just working on something else. Right. <laughs>